And this is the day that you've made, so we shall rejoice and be glad in it. God, I thank you for opening up the spirits and eyes and ears of the believers, that they will hear the words you prepare for us today. They will hear your voice and hear the mysteries within the word that will bring a change. They won't just be hearers only, but they will become doers of the word, Father. So I pray that your spirit will penetrate our hearts, penetrate our spirits, where change will manifest in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, I ask you to show me the things you want me to see. So when I speak, Lord, it'll be only those things that you want me to say. And Father, I lift up all of those who are dealing with some challenges right now, the health challenges right now, Father. I believe this assignment comes from the heaven of hell. And God, I pray that the saints will be open to speak faith words and to declare your word over their bodies and over their minds, Father, so that healing can come forth. We're in another season, and, and this season is, is just an addition to the season we're trying to come up out of right now, Father. But we're not gonna be deceived of the devices of, of Satan, and we will be encouraged by your word to speak forth your truths that will manifest life and victory in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, we are in Colossians. We are going to continue in Colossians. I think we're in uh, um, chapter 2. And so this is part 1, but this is where Paul is warning against error. So the title is Warning Against Error. Amen. And... Um, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, what we're going to hear Paul talk about, chapter 2, he talks about not philosophy, but Christ. And this, he speaks about this in verses 1 through 10. And then verses 11 through 23, he says, not legalism, but Christ. And then in uh, chapter 3, he deals with not carnality, but Christ, verses 1 through 11. So today we're going to deal with not philosophy, but Christ, and not legalism, but Christ. Now, Paul carries a great burden for Colossae and the Laodicean church. Therefore, he... He, he really in, emphasizes or labor in prayer like an intercessor over them and um, to help them come up out of the traps that the enemy have set for them. And, and, and again, he has to do it over and over and over again due to the heresy that was coming to uproot their Christian foundation. Now, this is something that we have to be conscious of because we are dealing with the same thing today. Different heresy that is being spoken to uproot Christian foundation, but it's being done in such a deceitful way that most Christians are not even in tune to it. Amen? And, and, and they're falling prey 
to what the enemy is putting before our eyes and not realizing that this is not ordained by God. This is just something to keep you from growing in Christ. Because we do have to remember that the enemy wants to steal the glory of God from him. And he's glorified when we are able to walk in faith, when we are victorious in him. When, we, when the world has overpowered us and overtaken us, and, and, and now we don't even make uh, living for Christ the number one priority, not a priority, but the number one priority in our lives. When we, our whole conversation is all about what's going on in this world, we have lost faith and we have lost hope of what we are all about and why we became newborn. We did not become newborn for our convenience. We came newborn in order to overcome the things that's trying to overtake us right now. Amen. And so our focus cannot be de deterred by uh, philosophy and legalism. And it's the same thing that was going on in that, in, in, in that church. It was uh, paganism that, pr that promoted philosophy. Same thing today. Pagan worship promotes philosophy, and Judaism, which promoted legalism, and 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 that's another thing. But we'll take it on a on a different scale than following uh, religious laws. Is that we come up with our own kind of law, and our own kind of understanding from what we think we got out of the Word, and then make it uh, a legal thing that supersede God's truth. And then Christianity, well, Christianity, what I mean is that certain Christians who are operating out of carnality and not out of righteousness, amen? And so there's always that battle that is, that is, um, that is going on. So Paul's message to the Church of Asia is, is or has a consistent language. If you pay any attention to all of these epistles when you read it, he has a consistent language to the church, which is a language that is warning them and is bringing edification because he had the heart of God and that was for all men to be saved and more especially to come into the saving knowledge of God. Amen? Okay, so um, I'm gonna begin reading uh, verse one out of Colossians chapter two. And he says, for I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. And, and he's like, on, on your behalf, Paul was concerned about the conflict that was going on in the church, which I just explained, those, those two ism and the Christianity thing. He says, for their hearts might be comforted being knit together and love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now, let me just read out of Jeremiah's commentary. His commentary says, Paul carried a deep burden of concern for the believers and uh, he labored in prayer, but the conflict comes from the same Greek, not as striving, from which we get our word agony. 
Paul was agonized by the churches, and so he agonized in prayer. Prayed often involves struggle, especially intercessory prayer that is on behalf of others. Prayer is war. It takes the very best, of, best a person has to offer and ask him or her to fight with diligence. So what we need to understand, now intercessors can, re, can relate to this, but if, if you haven't really interceded for a person, and what I'm, and the, I'm gonna tell you the difference. You may have prayed for a person, and it may have been one-liner, and it may have been for selfish reasons because that person was getting on your nerves or you just need some cooperation and you wanted to see a change. So that's a difference between that kind of uh, praying than interceding. Interceding, it means that you come between the problem that a person may be having or a country or a particular situation and the answer. So that means you're lifting up the problem to heaven with expecting an answer. And so what happens is when you begin to labor for a person, you're so concerned for that person, you go into prayer to war against the problem, against the spirit of darkness, against the thing that has caused a stronghold on the hearts and minds of a person, and you war per the word of God, per the will of God. The will and the word is the same thing. And you begin to war on their behalf. So because you have decided to go in on their behalf, sometimes you will actually feel the discomfort that the person is going through. Or you may become nauseous by uh, when you start to go in because the Lord is allowing you to feel the pain and the discomfort. Why? Because at, in that time of warring and praying, there's going to come a point when it's just going to break. Amen. And the way you're going to know it is that discomfort that you were feeling is going to dissipate. And that's God letting you know it's done. You don't see it. You haven't heard it. But it's done in the spirit. And, and, and in, uh, um, uh, I think it's in Psalms 92 where it says, when my eyes will see and my ears will hear the reward of the wicked. Okay? And, and so he honors that kind of intercess intercessory prayer from saints. And so this is what Paul did all the time. That's why I said... His language is very familiar and the same all through the epistles because he labored for all of the churches, because he labored for believers and for Christians. He had to. In Asia, they were subjected to all kinds of theology, I mean philosophy, and false religion. And so he was concerned that they would be, if you hear something that's constant in your mind and in your eyes, you eventually gravitate towards that kind of thinking or seeking that kind of understanding or seeking the desire for something. Like I said before, you can be watching TV and they show the, and they do, show the same commercials over and over and over again and after a while you wanna buy the product. Amen. You wanna try the product out, 
okay? Because you keep hearing that same thing over and over and over again, which then is working as a propaganda to get you to buy. But see, when you repeat God's word over and over and over again, what it does, it makes you a believer of what he's saying in his word, and it causes his word to manifest itself in the situation or in the world. And so this is, this is what um, David Jer Jeremiah is saying about how Paul agonized in prayer and he made that a main thing. So sometimes you may spend a lot of time in prayer for other things and other people, but you don't have to worry about what your stuff is gonna be covered because God says, if you take care of my stuff, I'll take care of yours. And so while you're laboring for someone else and something else, God is fixing your little personal situations. Amen? Because he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And, and the, the kingdom of God is, is how, what God has in store and planned in lives, in our country, in the, the government, in situations, in every aspect of the world so that we can live in a peaceable and godly world. Amen. And it's not going to happen until the body of Christ begin to intercede on those things. Our focus is always on our personal little circle. And that's it. And it's supposed to be about the broad things of the world. We're, we should be interceding about what's going on in our nation and other nations in order for us to live that kind of a, a lifestyle, which will help us then to understand, know what we're to stand for and what we need to stand against. And know when we need to be warring and when we need to be praising, when we need to be worshiping and when we need to be doing nothing but filling ourselves up with the word to be ready so that we are instant in season and out of season. And we're not warring with each other, but we're warring against the spirit of darkness that influences people to do what they do, say what they say, because we are influenced by one or two powers, by the power of heaven, the power of God, or by the power of Satan. There's no in the middle of the road. You're either influenced by one or the other. That's why when you refuse to open your mouth and speak out the oracles of God, that means the enemy has shut you up. Because he does not want you to get the victory and get the understanding, especially if he has you over in his camp doing all of these things that are coming against the plan, the purpose for your life, the destiny that God has set before you. Amen? So, in verse 2, Paul says, that your hearts might be comfort, being knit together in love. How many times have you heard him say this? Through different books, Okay. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father of our Christ. Paul expresses Jesus' preeminence by stating in prayer on their behalf and to them that Jesus is supreme and he's all in all, he's over all. And he's all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge that can be found in him 
and in no one else and in nothing else. Otherwise, it is a false claim. All the knowledge and wisdom. Think about that. But we would rather go to some other source or turn on TV to get an understanding about something that God can give it to us. Since he created us all and he created this world, why don't we go to the creator? When you buy some form of technology or some furniture that has to be put together because it comes in a box, where do you go to get the information as how to put it together? Because who made the manual that made the furniture, that made the object? So you go to the source of the origin of the thing. Then why don't we go to God? He created us, not we ourselves. And if you're a believer, you've been recreated to a whole new image. You go to God for understanding, for direction, for instruction, for wisdom, for knowledge. He has it all. He knows the plans he has for you. Nobody else does. It's not in a man or a female with charisma. I'm talking about who get up and preach the word with such great charisma that you're mesmerized. It's not in philosophy. There's some good philosophy that is birthed out of God's Christianity, but the majority of the philosophy that you hear people going through, it's not the philosophy that comes from God's word. And it's not in false studying or incorrect interpretation that fits your flesh. How we can take the word and work it to to go along with what we concluded because it's convenient and it's comfortable. It's not it's not any of that. Amen. And so um, we need to learn to trust in God. Remember when he uses the word mysteries in here, and we're still in verse two, to acknowledgement of the mysteries of God. Mysteries are hidden treasures in the word just for believers. That's what makes reading the word and dissecting and studying it fun because you acquire some information that you couldn't get any other place and that you really couldn't get it just going through it, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You have to break it down, dissect it, and you'll get, you'll get the mystery. And then guess what? There are times when you're in trouble and you cry out to God, God, order my steps in your word. That means reveal to me what I need to know from your word, okay? And God will send you to a particular word that's dealing with your situation. And because of his grace and mercy, you don't even have to dissect that one because you obeyed and followed what you inquired. He'll give you the revelation of it like immediately. Philosophy can't do that for you. Philosophy gives you a vague, huge void of understanding because it's supposed to be so deep. If you ever get an understanding, by the time you do, whatever the problem is, is either gone to pot or been resolved. <laughs> okay. See, the thing about God's word, it's a priest. And so it comes line upon line, 
precept upon precept? Okay, let's go over to Isaiah 28. That's why you can trust the word and nothing else. Because it will prove its own self. You don't, you don't need a philosopher. Isaiah 28, and we're going to read from 9 through, um, 9 through 13. And it says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast? For precepts must be upon precept. This is why Paul often tells the church, it's time for you to come off of the milk. You, you were on milk just for a while, but you're growing, and as you grow in Christ, you're going to have to come off that milk and get on some meat, Amen. something that you can chew and hold on to. He says, for precept must be upon precept. Precept must be upon precept. <laughs> Glory. Line upon line. Line upon line, here a little, there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they will not hear. But, how far, okay, I want to go to 13. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. If you don't belong to the Lord, you cannot even understand precept upon precept, line upon line, but the word will destroy the enemy. This is why I keep saying, we have to say it. You, you, you think like I'm trying to teach you some magic or something. No. When I say, when we got an illness or sickness or a problem, keep speaking the word that says what it has to do about it because the word breaks down. It's, it's, it's like chiseling down brick by brick that was built up. And it was built up by our own belief in what we heard before we became believers in Christ. What you understood before you became a believer in Christ, you learned to build that thing up strong and powerful. Now it's going to take the word to tear it down, but don't think what took you years to build up is just going to come down with one blow. It's got to be chiseled down, and how you chisel it is you keep saying the word. And if it's the same word, say it so it can destroy. So when you say, by his stripes, I am healed. Yes. Well, just because you don't see the healing, you don't stop saying it, and you definitely don't stop believing in it. Yes. Amen? We have to keep on saying these things. You think that, oh, that, that's not going to work. Because, uh, see, I still have. See, it's still happening. Well, the only reason why it's still happening because you don't believe that word, and you haven't received it. And so... God has to allow things to happen to open you up. And sometimes he allow us to get so down low that now we don't have no other choice but to believe it. Now we want to believe it and, and receive it. Amen. Okay. So, um, okay. Let's go over to Hebrews 9 to continue on with this thought about line upon line, precept upon precept. Okay. Let's go over here and we're going to dissect Hebrews chapter 9. 
And we're going to begin with verse 19 and go up through 22. So don't let me go past 22. Okay, verse 19. For when Moses has spoken every precept to all the people, and you, you know what precepts are? Commandments. The commandments of God. Because you see, the commandments of God, even though they're 10, they involve so many, one involves so many different things, okay? So it says, for when Moses has spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wood and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God had enjoined. Let me, let me just stop with 19. All right, we know the precept was the law and, and that came from Moses, and Moses got it from God. Amen. All right, so the blood of calves and goats was the sealing of the old covenant, which was a symbol of the new covenant to come. Okay, so he took the, remember in Genesis when Adam and Eve had sinned, because this is before Jesus, in order to cover them, to keep them going on, he had to kill an animal, take, to take the skin from the animal that had bled, and take the skin of the coat of the animal to cover them. That was symbolic of the lamb, Jesus Christ, who was going to come and die on the cross. And his body is our covering. His blood is the cleansing factor. So the blood of the calves and goats was, was, was the sealing of the old covenant, old covenant and is symbolic of the new covenant that's going to be the better covenant that covers that. So it's like how you put something together temporarily till you get the real glue. <laughs> and when the real glue comes, then it's totally secure and it can't come, 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 uh, come a loose. And so the blood witnessed to the atoning death. The blood is witnessing to the atoning death from Jesus, okay? The water witnessed to Jesus being full and proper human, okay? Because water comes from our body when we die, okay? So, so that proved that Jesus was fully human when he became the sacrifice for us on the cross. He didn't do this in divinity because it never would have redeemed us from the curse of sin and death had he did it in divinity, okay? So he came back to, 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 to restore us, okay? And so it says that in, in 19, it said, this is all done according to the law. So, okay, then scarlet wood um, is, is, is wool, not wood, I'm sorry, scarlet wool. Wool is normally white. That represents Christ's righteousness. But it w this wool was dyed, when it says scarlet, that was red dye. So it was dyed in red to represent Christ's blood only to make this righteousness available to man. Glory, hallelujah. Only to make this righteousness, what the righteousness of Christ, available to man. That means Jesus took off 
his righteousness on the cross to clothe us with his righteousness. So this is why we are marked or called righteous although we sin. That's a protective seal. That means because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are marked a righteous man, no matter what your gender is, okay? Which means it's like a protective plan around you. Not only that, because you were marked righteous when we sin, all we need to do is confess it. And God will forgive us of that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But now if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that doesn't apply to you. That does not apply to you because it's only in Christ are you able to take on his righteousness. This is why your sins are readily forgiven once you confess them. Something a believing believer must readily do. You don't go around talking about what God understands. No, you know when you sin because of the new creation in you, the new spirit that's in you, there is something that makes you uncomfortable. There is something that won't let you forget something that you've done, even though you try to qualify it. It's called the Holy Spirit. That won't let you be at peace with it until you say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. Help me. Because he does not want us walking around in unconfessed sin. Could you imagine what would happen if something happens to you and you die with unconfessed sin? That's why he says to be ready to repent, to release and let go immediately. Don't care. Why do you think you tell him, don't, don't let uh, don't go to bed. Let the sun go down on your wrath. Because you can die in your sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, back to the scriptures. When he talks about um, uh, hyssop to sprinkle on the books of both books. Now, hyssop is a bushy plant which typified Jesus' death on the cross as a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, glory. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost, to go deeper. Think. A bushy plant. Okay? Think about it. The, that defines his, his humanity. And, and so the blood that he shed was sprinkled on both the book and the people. Well, it refers to the book of the Leviticus, the book of the law. The book of the law, which was governing the people before Christ. Okay? Now, the people... The, um, that followed that was the tribe of Levi who were ordained as priests for the tabernacle service. They were ordained as priests for the tabernacle service because at that time, the only way that people were following God's sins was forgiven is because these ordained priests went to the tabernacle and got before with a, uh, an animal that had been killed and brought the blood and sprinkled the blood on the altar to, for a sacrifice on behalf of the sin of the covenant people. Okay? And so, uh, for their sins to be remissed and forgiven. Now, the ratification of the covenant and, and the symbolizes the blood of Christ, which will ultimately be shed and applied by faith to the hearts and lives of believing sinners. That's the new covenant. 
We don't have to depend on somebody else. Because let me tell you, if the priests went into that tabernacle and they wasn't right, they died at the foot of the altar and your sin wasn't forgiven and they don't come out to somebody drag them up out of there. Now you don't have to have nobody to go between you and God for your sin. You go right to God. This cup of blood is between you and your sin. And God, between your sin and God. And all you have to do is to, is to say, say, Father, I'm sorry, forgive me. And Jesus holds the cup of blood, Amen. which means the Father has to forgive you because his blood was shed. That's why he has to forgive you because Jesus shed his blood for us. Amen. And so every time we go, I don't care how many times a day you must go, go <laughs> and confess. And, and so, because he says, then I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. And so uh, that blood is sprinkled there to means it ultimately saves us and cleanses us and, and, um, and, and, and applies by, it's applied by faith to the hearts and lives of believing sinners. See, this is so important because I know too many saints that like can't get over themselves because they've done something wrong and they just want to hang on it forever and ever and ever. Well, you're out of order. You have, now you've committed another sin, a sin of idolatry, that you think you're so great that God wasn't going to forgive you and you got to do something to get over that. Okay? No. This is why our, our, our life with God is about faith. It's not about works. It's not about works. Do you believe him or not? So what you got to do in order to do what he tells you to do, the blood is mixed with the water. Praise the Lord. The blood of Jesus is mixed with the water. The water symbolically represents the word that's a cleansing. So Jesus is the word. <laughs> and the blood that he shed along with the water in his body is the cleansing factor that no one else can do or take away from you. Amen. Amen. Now, in verse 20, it said, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. So, um, I'm, I'm still in Hebrews, okay? So, it means this is the covenant that God has commanded. And only one person had to shed his blood to cut this covenant. And it was the pure blood. Amen. Exactly what was in the old covenant is in the new, but it's so much better because it's all of God and none of man. And 21 says, moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the, of the ministry. Why? Because, because blood is, Jesus' blood is purifying. And the awfulness of sin and how it can contaminate everything on earth. This is why he had to sprinkle that blood over everything. Because sin is contaminating. And once it's spread, it doesn't stop. It just keeps going. Going all through. Amen? Amen. Well, we live in a world that is broken by sin. This is why... We can live in a world and not become contaminated by the world because we are born of Jesus' blood. Amen? 
<laughs> praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Okay, so then 22 says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. The ills of, uh, of the world, the sins and the problems of this world can only be solved by the cross and the blood of Christ. People don't believe that, they don't want to receive it, but I'm telling you, this is the cure for all. Amen. And so uh, the, the problem of the world and, and, and also the church too, some people in the church that they want to substitute something else for the cure. What, okay, instead of going to Jesus, we'll go to the bottle, go to drugs, go to technology, go to another human, all of these things, because we refuse to accept the fact there is one simple solution, and all it takes is your faith and obedience to get there. And that's the cross and the blood alone is the solution to all of our ills. And we cannot say this enough. We have to keep being reminded that that is the solution of all of our ills. And so when Jesus shed his blood, his blood alone did the job and it overrode the law. That's why we don't have to live by the law because we are governed by the love of Christ. See, when you're governed by the law, the love of Christ, you automatically want to obey and do what's right. The law is not forcing you to do anything. You do it because of your heart's been changed. So you obey the law of the land because of the love for Christ that's in you. You don't do it because you're afraid you're going to get caught by the police or any other you know, force that's going to do, do diligence to you. <laughs> you do it because for conscience sake, you can't have any peace or rest knowing you have went against the law. Amen? So there's nothing better than our life in Christ. Okay, back to Colossians. Colossians 2, 4 and 5. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you or deceive you with persuasive, that's enticing, means persuasive words. But though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order or your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So Paul is, 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 is telling them, don't let somebody else come and persuade you with their false teaching and deception by subtle reasoning, okay? Because, you know, this can happen very easily. And, 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 and it really happens when you, uh, when, uh, you, if you can recognize when heresy is before you. Because let me tell you, with heresy, there's all kinds of reasoning to support their theme and their opinion. Think about it, okay? The Bible, the truth, do not need defense. It is received by faith. And faith makes it clear and hopeful. When it makes sense all the time, it isn't faith. Because Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So 
what does substance means? The realization or the assurance. And evidence means conviction, proof of the results. Only the Bible can do that. What you're believing and standing for in the word has proof of evidence that is real and it can happen. It's the only book. Okay? And, and, and that hope, you see, hope comes from the Lord. So that means that I have a blessed assurance that when I speak the word over something that's going on over me, I have the blessed assurance that God is going to manifest it. Amen. 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 Because when I speak this word, it's life. See, because we have to remember that it was Jesus. The, fl the word became flesh Amen. and dwelt among us. Amen. It walked around with us. This is a living word. Amen. And so when we read it and speak it, it has to manifest what it says it can do in the area or in our lives the way it says it can happen. It's the only book on earth that has the power to do that. And yet... We don't use it like we should. Um, verses 6 through 12. I'm going to read that and then go back. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. <laughs> Vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, that means that Christ is the head and the rule of all authority. That's what the principality and power is, that he's the head over all authority, and whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That means instead of having the, the traditional circumcision that we know about, our hearts have been circumcised by the word of God. Amen. When our hearts been cut, that means it's been divided. It says the word of God is, is like a two-edged sword that it separates and divides the intents and the thoughts of man. It divides the blood from, from the body. So that means it's going to separate what's soulish and what's from the spirit. That's what the word does. So that we don't operate in our flesh, in our soul, but we operate according to the spirit of the Lord. That's what the word can do, providing that you're seeking to get it. And you're reading it for the intent of change, not reading it for the intent to sound good in order to, when you pray that you sound good or when, or when you teach that you sound good. You're, getting, you're doing it because you want to be changed. Yeah. You want to be different. Yeah. Remember, he says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind with the word. Yeah. We've been translated from darkness mm -hmm. into the light, but we had to be transformed so we can stay in the light and not go back to the darkness or not go have visitations ever so often. Amen. Amen. So our heart has been, been circumcised, and, uh, and that means it's the cutting away of the flesh. Twelve, buried with him in baptism, 
wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who have raised him from the dead. Hallelujah, Jesus. We just had baptism on Palm Sunday, and that's what I was telling him. When you went down in that water, you were identifying to your new relationship with Christ, declaring your old man is buried, and is buried in that water like Christ did in that grave, and you come up out of that water and with the resurrected power of Christ, saying that you are a new creation in Christ. All old things has passed away. There is a new, praise the Lord, one good news. And see, this is why I keep stressing this, because I want all of us to get this. Salvation is a necessity for you to be saved, but it is a necessity for you to grow even deeper and deeper in understanding. So this is why you are baptized after salvation and not before salvation, because that is carnality, traditions of churches, that you belong to a church and they baptize you little, you, they don't know whether you're saved, and they didn't ask if you were saved. Oh, they didn't ask if you were saved. They don't know when you got saved. It's just, it's baptism. Baptism is done, and, and to confirm that, you go to the book of Acts, I think it's in chapter 4, that tells you that. But also uh, in Luke, where Jesus gets, gets uh, baptized, and after he gets baptized, uh, the, the, the dove comes upon him, and the Lord says that this is my beloved son whom I am pleased with. It means he's, he's baptized with the spirit and he's ready to go forth and do the work of the ministry. Amen. So you, we are baptized after salvation, the water baptism. And there's three baptisms. Baptism in Jesus Christ and then baptism where it means that you are put in the water, not sprinkled. Amen. And then you're baptized by the Holy Ghost, which is that fire that burns inside of you that you can't stay contained when you hear the good news of the gospel. It's verses 6 to 8. I have some notes on that. It says, yes, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Okay? Take you captive. That's what it means. Okay? And uh, vain deceit after the tradition of men and rudiments. It means uh, according to basic principles. And, and so when it says according to basic, basic principles, not according to the tradition of men. All right? And I just talked about that even with the baptism. I know I'm all over the place with this, but I hope you are getting some understanding out of what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Because in this verse, Paul refutes or, or rebuff the four deceptions that undermine Christianity. Again, philosophy, deceit, the traditions of men, and the basic principles of this world. We want the principles, the precepts of the word, not the world. Okay? Because believers, we have all that we need in Christ, in Christ Jesus. But I want to read... Um, my commentary for this. It says, Spoil could also be rendered, carried you away from the truth by false teaching. Rudiments of the world are elementary religious teachings coming from the world system. Amen? Yeah. Uh, and philosophy it, in view here is vain deceit. Vain deceit. Amen? Philosophy, deceit, the traditions of men, 
and the basic principles of this world. We believers have all we need in Christ. Now, there's some errors. I came up with four things that prevent Christians from getting what they need. Selfishness, greed, pride, and vanity will deceive you in thinking that's not so, that everything that you need comes in Christ, okay? This is why you have to let go, die to your flesh and your soul to be made over in Jesus' spirit to receive the benefits from keeping, for, for keeping God's precepts. I'm sorry. The benefits that we receive from keeping God's precepts, okay? And as a believer, you will not be successful when you don't follow and you refuse to accept the help that you're supposed to get. Now, as an unbeliever, you will for a while. Due to mercy, he lets you do your thing for a while. That's his mercy until you wake up. But when it runs out, you will go down hard like an unflated balloon in time. Amen? So, because, see, I think as some believers see the world being successful, doing stuff, and getting away with stuff, that's God's mercy, giving them the opportunity to, for, for believers to get the gospel to them so that they can hear, receive, and become saved, okay? But the end is doomed. So you may be suffering with lack, but it's better to suffer with lack instead of with faith, hope, and eternity than to have all that you need and don't have faith, hope, and eternity because we're going to pay the piper. At the end, you're going to pay the consequences for your choices. So choose Christ, whom you're going to serve all the days of your life. And you will have the victory because his name is Victor. <laughs> and he lives inside of us. Amen. Time for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and, and give you his peace. May he put his countenance upon you and give you grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs>